Good morning. I think DeAndre did that because they told me that last service I was too serious. <laughs> so, here's me not being serious. Now, let's get a little serious. And I want to start by asking you a question. And the question is this Are you really here this morning? Are you really present? for the word of God this morning? Or are you thinking about your calendar, your laundry, what you're gonna have for lunch? Are you washing dishes at home, folding your laundry? We need to give our attention to scripture because it can teach us so much about the present. And we're going through this beautiful series of love letters and I've been tasked with First Timothy, and I want to read it to you. It says, this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am foremost. And Paul is the one that's talking to us, that says he is the foremost of sinners. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And that's the love letter that is being written to us, that Christ would come and give us the opportunity to spend eternity with him. That's what the whole book is about. And Paul says... That I, Paul, was sent so that others, I was made a believer so that others would know that Christ is for them. He says, I'm the foremost of sinners. And when I'm reading that, I'm thinking, what does that mean? Because we, when we read about Paul, we read about like all the great things he did and all these letters that he wrote to the early church. But Paul wasn't always Paul. Paul used to be Saul. I like to call him Salty Paul. It helps me keep it straight because there's another Saul in the Bible. So for today, we're, we're going to call him Saul and we're going to call him Paul. Well, I might call him both, so pay attention. But when, when Paul is a young man, he's growing up in a very tumultuous time. There was a, a king named King Herod who was whack and he was ruling over the Jews and the Romans were ruling over him. And so King Herod, along with all the other Jews at this time, are aware of the prophecies that are written in the first books of the Bible called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Thank you. I never said Deuteronomy. Passed the test. And also my mind went blank. So all the Jews growing up at this time know the Torah because they're required to memorize it. So they know the prophecies about the coming Messiah. So they're looking for that. 
And Herod's this crazy guy, and he knows that um, Jesus is being born, and that kind of throws him off a little bit, because he's like, hmm, the wise men tell him this might be the Messiah. So he decides to have all the babies killed in the land. Luckily, Jesus escapes. Then a few years later, Herod dies, and the Jews go nuts. There are so many riots and, and uprisings that Josephus, who is... A, um, a historian working for the Romans at this time, not affiliated with the Jews, writes this in his book called The Antiquity of the Jews. He writes this in book 17, chapter one. This is what Josephus writes. One violent war came upon us after another. There were also very great robberies and murderers of our principal men of the Romans. And from them, murderers of more men which sometimes fell on those of their own people. He's saying the Jews were killing the Jews. Because at this time, there's four sects of Judaism. You have the, the Essenes who are, they're like the pacifists. They don't really want to get in a fight with anybody. Um, they kind of live out in the country. They work with the animals. But then you have the Zealots, and they are the burn it down crowd. I mean, they're burning down temples and they're killing people and they're rioting against the Romans every time they come into town. And Josephus tells us in his writings that at one point, there are so many of these fake messiahs and these uprisings and, and people looking to take over and rescue the Jews from their oppressors that the Romans crucify 2,000 people at one shot. And this is happening for years. This isn't a, a year or two. This is the entire time Jesus is growing up. And it's under this context that Paul is born. So Jesus and Paul are about 15 years-ish apart. So Jesus is starting his ministry, and Paul is a young man. He's somewhere between 15 and 20. And we can deduce that Paul is a very good Jew because he is studying under one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, which is like their court system. To be, Paul is studying to become a rabbi, and he's studying under this guy, called Gamaliel. And Gamaliel's, like I said, one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is ultimately the group of people that vote to kill Jesus. So Paul is intimately connected to this hatred of this Christ character. And, and you have to imagine that people are so like over the savior gig you know, if there's 2,000 people being crucified and there's these uprisings and the Romans are coming in and they're beheading people, like, you gotta think, there's probably some fatigue of people claiming to be Jesus. But Jesus comes anyway, lucky for us. But Paul is not having any of it as a young man. And I imagine... that he had seen Jesus, because they're living in the same place in Judea. And as a young man, 
the Sanhedrin can use Paul as the muscle to remove these Christians or these, you know, they called them the way followers. It was sort of a mocking term. To remove them from disrupting society. We first meet Paul specifically in scripture in Acts when Jesus has already been crucified and he's risen from the dead but the Pharisees don't believe that. Scripture tells us that they lied to the community telling them that Jesus' body had been stolen because that would usurp their power as Pharisees. So this picture that we get of Paul in Acts is going to tell you a little bit about where he's at in the world. Acts says this. Then they, a group of Paul's muscle, cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him, meaning they threw rocks at his body until it was crushed. And the witnesses, Paul's people, laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Salty Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when they had said this, Stephen fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And then there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles who tended to Stephen. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house as he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Try to understand this picture of this teenage boy, this young man who hates these people so deeply that he gets his little mob of haters and he goes from house to house, ripping you out of your family and leaving your kids as orphans. And he binds you up and he hauls you back to the Sanhedrin and you're put in prison and then you're put before the court and they all vote whether or not to kill you. And Paul says later in his life, I myself was so convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He is hunting them down and he's killing them. And this is so mind-blowing to me because Paul is a Jew 
who has memorized the scripture. So he's intimately equated with, he's knowing, he, it's like in his being to know all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah. And he chooses to ignore them, which is like, what? Because when, we're, when we can take Jesus and we compare him to all of these other sort of messianic figures that are coming at the time, these, these other guys are taking up arms and they're fighting against the Romans and they're ambushing, you know, the other sects. The, the zealots are killing, killing the Essenes and the Sadducees are killing the Pharisees and the Pharisees have their own guys. And Jesus comes in and he says, don't kill anybody. In fact, when one of his disciples cuts off the ear of, one of, of a Roman guard, Jesus picks it up and puts it back on. He says, we're not doing that. I came to bring life and life in the full. And so for Paul to, to equate Jesus with all these other guys, something's wrong. And, and that's where we find that Paul... Let me back up just a second and tell you this story. Paul has just killed Stephen murderously. And he's going from town to town, one of the towns being Damascus. So he, he gets his little uh, Sanhedrin buddies to write him, you know, like arrest warrants to go hunt down Christians and he's on the road to Damascus, and that's where Jesus meets him. And you might have heard this story where, where he and his band of buddies are marching in, you know, with all their authority or whatever, um, and he's struck blind by a light. And that light is Jesus. And Jesus, let, let, me, let me just read it for you. It's the scripture. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine, just take a second and, and think about, put yourself in, in Paul's shoes for a second. You grow up knowing all of these prophecies about the king to come. And then you go ahead and not only are in favor of crucifying that king, but you hunt down like dogs the other people that are following him. The other people who are doing no harm, but are taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans, and truly loving others. Can you imagine the regret 
that he has in this moment as these prophecies are coming through. Yes, that one. Oh my gosh, he did that one. Oh my gosh, he did that one. And he raised from the dead. Because if I can hear him, that means everything else that I knew about the king just came true. Can you imagine the weight that would be on him for knowing that he just killed all of these people for a God that he thought he was serving? What, what kind of regret does that feel like? And what kind of shame is that? And that's why he writes in 1 Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What's saying, Paul? What are you talking about? That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Not to save the righteous, not to save the kind, not to save somebody who is doing it right, to save sinners of who I am the worst. He's saying if God could save me, how much more could he save you? Because there's no way you cast your vote against him in the Sanhedrin. There's no way you stood by mocking one of his disciples, allowing other people to chuck stones at his face until he could draw breath no more. What kind of, what kind of love is that? Paul continues, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's life begs several questions that we have to ask ourselves. And one of them is, am I letting my religion get in the way of my love? Do I hold tight so fast to what I think are the rules that I forget to extend love to everybody that I come across? Or do I harbor this dislike and this disgust for people that are other than me? Do I constantly blast people on Facebook? Do I constantly talk about how stupid liberals are? Or how idiotic Republicans are? Paul says, we are known by love. And we get so wrapped up in our rules that we forget God gave us two, two things to do. Love God and love others. And some of us 
need to ask for forgiveness for hating our neighbor, for the disdain we take for people that are not like us, people that vote differently from us, that are of different color from us, that speak differently from us, that look differently from us. Because when God looks around this room, he just sees child. And that's how we should see people. The other thing that we need to take from scripture that somebody needs to know today, and I I don't know who it is, is that God loves you. Even with all of the bad crap that you are doing and have done, he still is pursuing you. And He's patiently waiting for you to get it. And his patience is perfect because he will wait for you forever until you understand that you could persecute me all you want. You can hate me all you want. You can blame me all you want. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still waiting for you. I still love you. Just come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. I came to give life and life in the full. So what is it you need this morning? Do you need to ask for forgiveness and ask that God fill you up with love? Or do you just need to ask Jesus to be in your life? Because we all need Jesus in our life. Some of us don't know him at all. Some of us know him a little bit. Some of us know him more, but none of us knows all of him. And we need to be asking for that. Lord, help me know you a little bit more today than I did yesterday so that I can love people better today than I did yesterday. Because all I'm saying is, I know who I used to be, and that was not a great person. Because I can tell you the people that I hurt, the things that I said, the people that I judged. And God says, I still love you. And I'm going to help you not hurt a person today. And then tomorrow, we're going to work on that again. And we're going to work on that again. And we're going to work on that again until my love can be pushed through you so that others could know me too. And isn't that what we want? We want people to know him and we want to know him. Would you stand? We're going to pray as a church. And some of you don't like praying out loud. And all I have to say is, get over it. (laughs) And if the band will come out and give me a little background music, it makes it a little more spiritual.
But listen, we all need Jesus one way or another, in one way or another. Would you bow your heads with me? Just pray this out loud. Lord, I'm not doing it right. I'm not loving people the way you love me. And I need you in my life. I need you to fix the pieces that are broken. I need you to change my perspective. And I need you to show me people the way you see them. Come into my life, Jesus. And wash my heart clean. Would you just listen to this song and just let it wash over you. And just think about the gift that he gave you even though you were so undeserving. And yet he loves you in spite of all of that. Lord, thank you. We praise your name. Amen.